Hello everyone, welcome to episode 66 of ZK Live. Tonight we have Mikey from Wet Paint, Connecticut. Super passionate paint contractor, incredible paint nerd, the attention to detail master, really passionate, awesome guy. His, his, his uh, enthusiasm is infectious, so I'm going to bring him on right now and we'll get going. <laughs> Boom! What's up, man? How are you? Good, how we doing? I'm doing well, man. Welcome to ZK Live. It's an honor. It's good to have you, man. Uh, so for people who don't know you, can you tell a little bit about what your company looks like today? You're a painting contractor. Um, where do you work out of and what kind of work do you do? So we are, we're a pretty small operation. Right now there's three of us. Um, we strive for, you know, high-end finishes, um, attention to detail, like you said. <clears throat> um, primarily all residential. And at the moment... I'm trying to, I'm basically trying to go the same avenue you did, and I'm only trying to take fine paints of European jobs. It's difficult, but I'm turning jobs down that don't fit, you know, where I'm trying to go. <clears throat> and uh, is that something that you learned at ZK Finishing School? It is. I don't think I'd be crazy enough to try that on my own, but I trust the process, and I see what it's done for you. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's already working. It really is. Yeah, I, you are one of two people who have been to both of the two courses right now that we offer at ZK Finishing School. We've actually got the uh, certificate right there, right in the background. There, uh, that sales and marketing class, uh, what did you think of it? I thought it was great. Um, for me, I mean, the you know, the gloss one, that's awesome. That's sexy. That's interesting. But you can't sell the gloss without, you know, some sales and marketing. So for me... The biggest bang for the buck was, you know, the sales and marketing. I learned a lot. I implicated it right away. And I've seen results. I mean, my, my Instagram, I've had many people message me and say, what did you do? Who did you hire? Because <laughs> it just looks, you know, it looks that good. And it was, it was pretty simple. Basically, you lay the blueprint and all I had to do was, was follow it. Yeah, I was looking at it a minute ago before we got on because I always go through one more time and go through someone's social media, write down notes, what do I want to talk about? And I was like, oh, yeah. I, I, it reminded me that you had came to that sales and marketing weekend because your bio, your feed, I mean, it's just, it looks, it, it tells me what to do mm -hmm. you know, in a very concise way. Um, so it's impressive, man. I don't want to give away too much because we want the people to come, but... Um, you know, beat the same drum over and over again. That's really what stuck with me. Anytime I'm posting something, I think, is this what I want to come across as what we do? And if it doesn't kind of have those key bullet points, then no, I'm not going to post it. Or I'm even going to the point of, no, I'm not going to take this job. Yes. I love it, man. It, it's so cool to see like we started this school teaching classes. Like I, I wanted to add value to people. And the more I watch and get to see people and hear the responses of the success that they've had, you know, I'm not alone. Like what I did is not rocket science and the success I've had. I'm glad that we can, we can share it with other people and watching you and what you're doing, man, everyone, everyone's impressed who's watching. <laughs> Thank you. You have a lot of fans out there. 
Um, how did you get onto Instagram in the start? How did that be begin? Um, so it's funny, a long time ago, like another life ago, I, um, I managed nightclubs. So a lot of my online promoting kind of came from, um, you know, the way I used to promote nightclubs. So I had a little bit of, um, you know, savvy in kind of marketing techniques. Um, but I was kind of directing most of my energy to Facebook. I didn't really think Instagram had a whole lot to offer. And then I stumbled across the Idaho painter and I realized, Oh my God, like there's a, there's a whole community of, of painters. And then I, um, I came across you and it was basically you and in shoreline painting are who I looked at. And I said, that's exactly what I want to do and where I want to go. And then I looked at shoreline. I said, there is no way I can handle 85 guys. So that's out of the question. <laughs> there's very few people that could do what, what Chris does. Um, and I looked at you and you were, you were even a lot smaller back then than, than you are now, but I've always had, you know, a vision of, of where I wanted to go. And it's, it's not super big volume. It's insane quality. And that's always kind of been my, uh, my mission. That That's cool, man. So, so, there's the Instagram and I'm always interested in how people got to Instagram, especially people like you and I that are finding so much success there. Um, how did you get into painting? It's everybody, in my, if anybody, one second. If anybody can't hear Mikey, someone let us know if his audio, you might need to talk a little bit closer or a little louder. Um, it's just, it's not, it's, it's a little quiet for me. Okay. In, so it could just be me. All right, so how did I get into painting? Yeah. It's, I mean, as, as cliche as it sounds, it's kind of in my blood. Um, my father was a union painter. That's something I've never done. Um, my grandfather was a painter. My grandfather actually was a paint manufacturer as well. He worked at an old paint factory, Dexter Paint in uh, Rocky Hill, Connecticut. So I started, you know, I started young. Um, I actually worked at a Benjamin Moore store for a little while. Um, and that, that, that's a giant part of my story. I feel like that's when I really got into learning about coatings, different products and, and stuff like that. But I get bored in the same spot. So I ended up going back in the field, working for a bunch of people. Um, and then we took a hard left turn. Like I said, I got into the, the nightclubs and all that. That was, that was not good. And Five years ago, I got back into painting for the first time ever for myself, you know, as that's when wet paint was born. And here we are now. <laughs> we, we have similar stories in that, in that way of, you know, just starting out on our own. It wasn't like a, we, I mean, I know, I, I know your story a little bit. We didn't start out with like $40,000 in the bank, write a business plan, buy some trucks, buy you know do a bunch of marketing and like start a company right no you know it was you know i was working out of a ford Taurus with a little giant ladder <laughs> uh if you were paying me 15 bucks an hour to paint something i was all about it and uh it. you know but i think we both share that passion for the craft and for like constant improvement all the time almost to a level of obsession oh, where yes. <laughs> actually in your bio it says something about obsession of 
in the details or something, which I thought was funny. Yeah. All right. But, so I left out the fit, my, probably my favorite part of my story. Well, back backtrack just a little bit. Um, so I'm very open with my story. I, um, you know, I got into recovery. I got clean and sober. Um, prior, I had sold all my pain equipment. I said, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. So there was a guy in the, in, um, you know, in AA, in the program that said, hey, Mikey, I, I'm looking at my house painted. I said, oh, man, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Um, he's like, come on. So I said, okay. But it, I, actually, I had nothing. I sold everything I owned. And, you know, it was hard for me to tell him that. And he's like, oh, no problem. I'll buy whatever you need. So I started back up, and I have it hanging on the wall to remind me. All I had was that one single paintbrush. That's all I had. It's a Corona. And then I had a Folgers coffee can for a cup bucket. And I took the city bus to his house. And I got off to paint this guy's whole house with that paintbrush in a Folgers coffee can. My man. <laughs> and you know what, man? I fell in love. I said, oh, my God, I love this. It was the first time since I could remember that I wasn't painting it, that I wasn't painting to, you know, score some quick money. And I, I fell in love with it all over again. And little by little, it, it just kind of took off. It was That's awesome. Insane. I had nothing, man. I had no, I didn't have a driver's license. I had nothing. The mother of, um, of my, of our kids would drop me off at these, you know, random odd job paint jobs after I worked all day at a landscape company and she worked all day. She was driving me all over the state and she goes, why don't you just start your own business? And everyone, dude, everyone laughed except for her. She said, you can do this. So she pushed me to do it. I remember my sponsor at the time said, how are you going to start a business? You only have a driver's license. I said, well, it's a valid point, but I think I can do this. So I just went all in, man. It's a, there's a testament. That's a testament to what, what we can do as addicts when we're not using drugs and we're clean and we're working toward getting better every day. And when you start to get traction in life, you know, and you have that desire, anyone that has that, like you said, that passion and the, the fire, yeah. man, you know, we live in the best country in the world for that. Oh, yeah. I want to start something and go hard. Um, I think we're I'm, both examples of what can happen. I'm, I'm such a firm believer in if you operate with, on, you know, honor, honesty, integrity, and you work your ass off, you're not going to fail. I'm a big yeah. believer in that. It's going to be real tough. It is. It is. That's amazing. All right. So then how did you get in? How did you like, where did fine paints of Europe come in, in this picture? So like I had mentioned, I worked, um, you know, I worked at a Benmore store. Um, and there was a store in Wethersfield, Connecticut, which was United paint, which was a, a you know, independently owned Benmore store. Benmore dealer. And they're actually now uh, Ring Zen, who is my supplier. But um, John Sr. had an account and was selling fine paints of Europe out of United Paint and Weathersfield. So I had seen it. Um, didn't really have much experience with it, with it back then. But again, I started um, shifting into wanting to get into, you know, higher quality stuff. I get bored super easy. And I think I was like a year in and I said, I can't just paint walls all the time. I'm getting bored. So I started, um, I started spraying cabinets. I had a Graco 9.5, 
HVLP, which I thought was, you know, the best thing out, the best finish on the market. And you know what, for me, it worked for a long time, but then I started getting bored of that too. So then that's where I got into um, Fine Fancy Europe, a Rings End employee, Joe, he, um, he ordered me a quart and said, Mike, you're going to use this. I think this product is tailor-made for you. So I went ahead and I tried it on a, on a client's handrail. Um, didn't practice. I don't recommend that. Uh, <laughs> I painted with a lot of satin and burbo. So I assumed, oh, it's, it's, you know, no different. It looked beautiful. I came back 10 minutes later and it looked like it was on fire. It looked like it was melting, just like melting chocolate. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And right then and there, I think it humbled me. And I said, this is, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Because even though it looked terrible, it still looked amazing. And it was hard. It was difficult. So I dove right in. I was it, man. I was hooked. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what, what did diving in look like? Um, I started basically giving away handrails um, just to get it out there. I was doing them for like 500 bucks. Um, just literally giving, I was basically paying you to paint your handrail. Um, then I tried a door, I brushed the door. Um, that came out kind of all right. I, I'm actually going to go back and try to find those pictures just to see what it, what it looked like. It'd be cool. Um, and that's around the time where I came across you on, on Instagram. I remember the first thing I saw of you, you were, in your old shop and you were spraying some sample doors with, I think it was like Rembrandt red. And I was like, man, this is cool. And then, you know, I started basically stalking your, uh, your profile. And then I, um, I got into, I got into a door, um, the black door that's you put in the live post. And that was actually the first door that I had ever sprayed. That I'm sorry, that door will forever make you a legend. Uh, there, there's oh. a lot of people who are who are that what their first spray door you know when it turns out looking that good um it's pretty crazy so sorry i cut you off what, what were you saying i skipped a part um i i tried to do a bedroom set and i had spoken to you actually about it um i was trying to do a bedroom set with uh with the graco 95 and I was messing around with, with Swedish putty. And you said, man, what are you doing? If you're losing, I know the customer, I know the client didn't pay for that. So why don't you really go all in and shoot it with fine paints of Europe? And I said, oh, okay, I guess you're right. And then you said you can market it. So I shot it with the, um, the nine five and I basically almost ruined this woman's bedroom set runs like you've never seen curtains, terrible. So I ended up sanding it down to nothing and I had to deliver her furniture back. I had it hostage for like months because I couldn't get it right. So I ended up having to shoot it in satin and burbo just to get it out the door. But again, I was rehooked because it was so difficult and it tested me like nothing had ever done before. So then I realized that I don't think I can properly push this paint through this great 95. So I went out and bought a Kremlin. Mind you, I was shooting in my basement. <laughs> so I went out and bought a Kremlin. Yeah, I just went out and bought a Kremlin. I did some research, went out and bought the Kremlin, and then um, I had the opportunity to do that door, and I literally just dove right in. 
I charged a thousand dollars for that door, and I think I spent thirty five hundred. <laughs> it was insane. I literally almost lost my mind. I I smashed the phone. I I you know broke a light. It literally almost broke me. I remember coming upstairs one night saying, "That's it. I'm done. I'm selling that effing sprayer." And I'm going back to painting with Benjamin Moore. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but I tried one more time, and I ended up nailing it, man. And that's I have, it. I, there, there's something about Holland Lack Brilliant that can it it will make you feel crazy some days. Oh yeah. In um, boy, you think you have everything right where you need it, and then something goes wrong, and you're just like. I don't think I can sand this door again. <laughs> so can you tell me about the, uh, what was the, by the time that door is done, can you walk me through the entire process of what is on that door? Yeah, so it was a fiberglass door. So we, um, it was in pretty decent shape. It probably had like three or four, you know, rough paint jobs on by brush. So there was brush strokes on it. But then it also had machined in faux brush strokes, like deep. So, I mean, thinking right now, there's a million other approaches that I would have done. But my approach was I'm going to sand this down to nothing. I literally sanded out machined in brush strokes. Like, why didn't I just fill? <laughs> there's a million things I would have done now. And any one of those would have been better and quicker and smarter than my initial approach. Um, so we sanded it down to nothing. It was, um, it was in summer. I had like a tank top on, no respirator, no nothing. I get upstairs and I'm, I felt like I rolled around in insulation because all of the little fiberglass fibers were literally like all over me. They were like in my throat. It was, it would, dude, it was a nightmare. So we got it pretty smooth. Um, I think I was filling with like, what was I using? wasn't Bondo, but it was, it was like some kind of like air dry, buddy. Um, it was 3M. It was a 3M air dry. Ended it and started filling right away. Yeah. Yep. And then I put, um, I put key primer on because, you know, it was fiberglass. So we did fine paint to your key primer. And I sanded that and I thought I maybe burned through a little bit. So I went ahead and put another coat on there and then I did it again. So it had three coats of key primer on there. <laughs> And I want to say two coats of primer or three, three, two or three coats of primer. I think it was two. And that's around the time where I really started, you know, losing my mind. Two coats of oil primer. Yeah. Yeah. Fine paints, oil primer. And again, now a door that I do or, or you do, you know, that thing probably would have had four or five coats of primer on it. And that's probably the first thing I would have done was priming it before I, you know, went ahead and, did all of that stuff. Yeah. That would, that so, would be yeah, man. I, I mean, I went all over the place where now I know exactly where to go. Yeah. Okay. So it was sanded extensively. It was then patched. Mm -hmm. Then two, three coats of key primer, two coats, coats of key primer. Yeah. What did you sand that with? I think the sanding in the primer stages is probably the only part of the operation that I was somewhat proud of. Um, you know, we were sanding with, with our Festool. 
um, ETS 150 with the hard backer pad. I think, you know, each coat of primer, I think we went up like one to 200 in grit. I think we ended with, ended with like 1500 because I ended up sanding in between coats of Holland lac, but I was around like four to 800 on my primer coats. And I spent a lot of time talking with you and talking with Phil. Like literally Phil was like talking me off the ledge every night. We would talk for hours about just how I'm going to sand it. I sent them like 300 pictures from every little angle. Like, oh, what about this? Is that going to show? What about that? And every night we would just talk and I would go at it again the next day. <laughs> you know about how long you had that door? Oh, <laughs> I think I had it. Um, dude, it was like two months, two months. And so, all right. So we got two coats of oil primer and two coats of top coat and you were done. I can't remember if I did two or three top coats. I think I did two. All right. Are you ready for a ZK live exclusive? No one knows this. You don't even know this. <laughs> So that door, man, after all that work, it had a pretty intricate, you know, lock set on there. So I had my buddy who's a carpenter come over and he put it back on for me. We were getting ready to deliver it and he's putting it on and it's just not lining up. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then he stops and he looks at me. I can't even believe I'm about to say this. Dude, I painted the wrong side of the door. No one knows this. Oh, that's tremendous. <laughs> but I figure <laughs> that was probably the best time to, to get that out. <laughs> After all that work, I painted the wrong side of the door. Oh, my gosh. I, I That has to sink in for a second. I, I feel your pain on that one. So, so, all right. Well, you just – that's the, usually the last question we ask that. So you're going to have to top that at the very end of this podcast. So start okay. thinking. <laughs> uh, but all right. <laughs> so <laughs> you came the wrong side of the door. What happens after this? I kind of was figuring out if it was possible for me to never come out of my basement ever again and just kind of stay down there. <laughs> um, so I came up white as a ghost and I, um, I think it took me like a day or two to call the client and tell her what, what had happened. And she, she said, you know, it's really no big deal. It's okay. So I gave her a couple options. I said, do you want two gloss sides? Um, but she needed her door back because it was the front door to her house, obviously. So she needed her door back. So we went ahead and just shot, um, or a grand entrance on it and we we delivered it and that was that was it so that's why there's no um there's no finished install pics of that door there's only pictures in my in my homemade spray booth <laughs> oh man i i thank you first of all thank you for sharing that uh, that's what this show is all about is real honest you know this is what it's like to be in business Things are not easy. Um, I can't tell you how many times we've had things like that happen. And your soul's crushed. It's, it's like an out-of-body experience, right? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know what to do, man. I couldn't believe that I had done that. So wow. every door I do now, I take a piece of blue tape, and I write front on it. <laughs> I am never gonna let that happen ever again. <laughs> That's tremendous, man. And you know, I think we think oftentimes we spend so much time thinking about this stuff, especially when you haven't done it. You know, I, I know for me, like. I just posted recently that video of us, of me spraying the first coat of my first gloss door. Mm -hmm. The amount of time you spend thinking about it before you go to do it, right? For months, for years, I've been dreaming of doing my first gloss door. And I can totally see how that happens, where you're so excited, you're thinking about 5 million other things, mm -hmm. and you paint the wrong side of the door. I mean, for me, before I even took the lock set off, my mind, like you just said it, I was already spraying. How am I going to spray it? And I was so excited, man. I'm not going to lie. I was so excited. I just couldn't wait to get going. I think I took the door apart. This is another thing. I took the door apart at like 11 o'clock at night because I was so excited just to get going. I couldn't wait to start it, so I'm going to start it tonight. Now, man, I'll take the door off, and it'll sit at the shop for a day, and I'll get everything in order, and, and then we'll get to it. But I was like a kid on Christmas, man. I couldn't wait to start this project that I, you know, I, I kind of missed a, a key part of, of the project. <laughs> it, it, good for you. I'm, I'm glad you had a client that was reasonable. You know, we can't, we can't do what we do in this business without having great clients. Um, how did you find that? She actually found me. Um, through Ring's End, she knew what Fine Paints was, um, and she wanted a gloss door. So uh, Ring's End had given her my number, and she called, and I couldn't wait. I went. I John had sent me this is before this is before I was certified. John from Fine Paints had sent me, you know, a little drawdown pack with a little, you know, a little bag, and I put it in my van, and I walked up to her door, and I was just so excited to to show her the black drawdowns. And I gave her the price and she, this is probably another reason why she, um, she didn't make a big deal about it because she knew what fine paints was. Yeah. She knew it wasn't cheap. And when I told her a thousand dollars, she was probably like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that probably had something to do with it. Yeah. But yeah. she was super cool. I think that that's, it's only fair. Right. And when I, when people ask me, when I, I talk to a lot of, guys who are looking to do this type of work or, or anytime you're trying to go to that next level you know i think the most important thing is like you, like you were we have to be honest you know i i did a very similar thing my first door i was i can't tell you how much it was but it, i know it was under 1500 it was probably 1200 or 800 and i but i i might have known enough then at the time but now i tell everybody if you're going to do this Make sure that you tell them, I'm going to give you this door for a very cheap price. I need two things in, in return. I need a flexible timeline, and I need the ability to market the door afterwards, right? And so I'm glad that you were able to get that flexible timeline um, because otherwise it's not fair, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So now they have the inside of their door looks way better than the outside of their door. Yeah, the, I mean, the outside – or a grand entrance is, is, is not a bad product, but I mean, 
yeah, it's it's no comparison, really. <laughs> oh man, that's that that's pretty awesome. All right, so what happened after that door? What what came next? So that was um, I'd say that that was in May, two thousand two thousand nineteen. And I, you know, I stuck with it, man. I kept doing handrails. Um, and then we'll, we'll fast forward to September. Um, and I remember one morning I was on a pretty nice job, pretty decent job. And I was on the phone with my paint rep. I'm very, very close with, with my paint reps. Ring Zen is like a giant part of my operation. They're like family to me. So I, you know, I call and talk to them all the time. And they know me very well. They know my backstory. And I'm on the phone with them. I said, I'm, I'm getting bored, man. I'm just, I'm not super happy right now. I feel like I'm kind of stuck. I'm just kind of going through the motions. This is just not really where I want to be. I, I want to try to get up to Vermont. You know, I want to get certified. And it was already September. So I, had, you know, I, I didn't think it was, it was probably not going to happen. Um, so Ringzet has a good relationship with, with fine paints, um, shoreline painting. That's, that's his supplier. So they made some phone calls three days later. I got a call from my rep saying, um, John from fine paints is coming down. He wants to have lunch with us. And dude, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was like blown away. I had met John a year prior. Um, my rep brought him out to see me and dude, it was the worst job ever. We were like scraping down a deck. It was like a nightmare, just an absolute, like a Craigslist paint job. And he brings John, John pulls up in his Audi, and he, <laughs> you know, he's, he's trying to keep a straight face, but he's probably like, why did, what, what are you bringing me to? Like, what, what are we doing here? But he kind of talked to me, and um, I think he saw I was passionate, and I was, you know, I wanted to, to learn more. So a day later, or two days later, I get a package at my door. And John had sent me a whole bunch of t-shirts and, and info and a handwritten note saying it was great to learn about your business. If there's anything I could do for you, please let me know and keep going. So um, it was all those things, man, that really, really got me hooked. So again, a year later, I'm like, I'm determined. I need to get up there. Need to get up there. So I get the lunch with John and I was nervous, but I went in there and I said, I'm just going to be myself and be passionate. And dude, he was sold on it right away. I remember he said, how are you going to make the switch? How are you going to, um, you know, start using it over, over Ben Moore? And I thought for a minute, and I'm not going to lie. I said, what will this guy want to hear? This guy's like a killer. He's, he's a salesman. And I looked at him. I said, I'm just going to fucking use it, man. They hired me and he hit the table. He said, I love it. He goes, that's all you got to do. And that was it, man. He said, well, you're coming to Vermont. And, and that if there, it's funny, it's like you knew him or you'd met him because now we know how often that's what they say. And it's so true. Like just when you just use the paint magically, it leads to more people who want the paint because it. it is, you know, it's a far superior product to what the other things that are out there. Um, so you hit the you hit the jackpot with that statement. I think that right then it was it was over, man. He was like, "This kid's got it." Okay. So what was it like going to cert? Where were you at in your business, and and then what was it like going to certification? We were um, 
we were doing pretty well. The business was doing pretty well. I had, I think I had three, three guys and we were doing at the time I thought we were doing higher end stuff. Um, we were still respectable. We were, you know, trying to deliver very high quality. We had already had, you know, Festool incorporated. We were spraying a lot of our trim packs. We were running Benmore Advance and Aura, uh, Regal, Matt, Aura, Matt on walls. So we were, you know, we we're a quality operation. Um, so I, I find out that I'm going to go up to Vermont and I figure, well, I'm going to make a hell of a first impression. So I had a paint job that was specked out for Ben Moore. It was a whole house. And I upgraded on my own, on my own dime, to a full fine paints order. And I remember I posted the picture on Instagram and John texted me saying, dude, that's awesome. So it was cool, but and it wasn't even that it was that much more. It was maybe $1,000 more that I hadn't budgeted, but I was okay with eating that cost. But what I didn't foresee was the job was an absolute nightmare, man. We were supposed to be done in two weeks. It took four. Um, we were converting all trim in the windows. The homeowner went ahead and silicone caulked all the windows. Now, anyone on here probably knows that paint and silicone don't mix. Um, so we had to scrape out the caulk by hand. <laughs> And it was, I lost my shirt on that job, man. And that was my first full fine paints job. Now you would think anyone with half a brain with all of these stories I'm telling you of me getting my ass kicked over and over would probably say, maybe this isn't for me. But I knew that the problems were me and not, not the pain. I knew I just had to keep going, man. <laughs> I, I, and it's, we have such a similar story and, and that I had a very similar um, first experience when I was getting, I think it was right after or right after I got certified uh, or right. No, I think it was right after. Um, yeah, it was. I came right home from certification and I took the interior full house interior repaint that we were doing. And I was like, we're using all fine paints of Europe. Yep. <laughs> I think, you know, I, but I didn't, you know, I hadn't done what I teach now with doing all the samples and the practicing and, we sprayed, resprayed these doors with eco satin like four times, and I ate. I think it was like over eight thousand dollars. I ate on the upgrade, mm -hmm. and you know, and the client, like, luckily that client had a nicer another home that we ended up getting the whole interior, a huge job, because he saw the paint and he was like, "I've never seen anything like this. I can you come paint this other place now?" But. You know, I think uh, in order to get to the next level, you have to take it on the chin. Yeah. If anyone knows another way, please let me know. But um, my experience has definitely always been, um, you know, you have to make some sacrifices. That's it, man. Um, and I think they're, they're valuable lessons. If you learn from, you know, these mistakes – and you try to not repeat them, then, you know, it's, it's, it's a valuable lesson. And it's, you know, experience is, is, is a hell of a teacher. Um, so every time I would kind of make a mistake like this, I would go home and, you know, lick my wounds and say, okay, how can I be a little bit better? What can I do differently this time? It's crazy. All right. So, so you go up to, to cert. What's that like? That was incredible, man. Um, I was like, just buzzing the whole way up there, just driving up there. I couldn't believe it. 
I think I called like 30 people. I was all emotional. <laughs> I was calling my reps, thanking them. You know, I, I couldn't wait. Um, so I got up there early and I went to, uh, I went to the fine paints headquarters and I pull up and I see the ZK painting truck and I'm like, Oh man, he's here. <laughs> and I walk in and it's crazy, man. But I was starstruck. Like I felt like a kid, like walking in, like seeing like, like Michael Jordan or, you know, um, you know, sports players. I, I was starstruck. I think you were, you were talking to Jessica, Jessica Allred. Um, and I just, I kind of stood there and you saw me, you're like, Hey man. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> I was, I felt like I was way out of my league, man. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm wondering, you know, do I belong with these guys? These guys are incredible, but I think that's probably the biggest testament to fine paints and their painters are, they're better people than they are painters, man. You know, everybody just wants to help and elevate you and genuinely care. I, you know, I feel like that was the first time I met you, but I felt like, you know, we had known each other for, for years. We had talked for a few years, but right away I kind of eased the, the butterflies and I, you know, I got kind of comfortable. And then they had a dinner that night, that Friday night that, you know, not everybody was, was invited to. And I saw John Shear in the lobby and I went up and said hi to him. And I said, Hey, do you know where the, where the, I forget what it was, the ballroom or whatever. And he messed with me. You know, he played a little prank on me. He goes, why? What's nothing's going on there tonight. Is it? And I'm like, Oh my God, does John Shear not know about this super exclusive dinner that I'm going to? And he did it on purpose, man, to, like, make me feel uncomfortable. And then he patted me on the back. He goes, it's right in there. And he started laughing. But I'm like, oh, man, did I mess up? Because John told me, don't, you know, please don't openly talk about this. <laughs> and then I started talking with um, Karen, Karen from NYC Fine Finishes. And he had liked me, but he was, he wanted to make sure I belonged. And he was, he kind of put me through the ringer. He was, he was grilling me at dinner. I think I had, like, one bite of dinner because he was just grilling me. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the interesting thing about what you just said to me is uh, when that I had a very similar feeling when I went the first time I went to that I was so excited. And, I, you know, I had like $500 to my name after buying the hotel rooms and I'm up there and I'm like, I'm gonna get there early. I'm gonna meet at the meet and greet and I like the first person I met was Dan Ross and I'm like this guy's like painting for all the billionaires in San Francisco and he has this super successful company and I just sat there and I listened to him like in awe for hours and again I had this like overwhelming sense of like I don't belong here I, I'm not good enough to be here with all these amazing contractors um, and you know to this day you know I think there's when you're playing at this level there's always like that in the back of your head, things like that, like that will happen to me all the time. And I talk with Jessica a lot and she'll have that same, like that imposter syndrome is real. Yeah. And when you're playing, when you're painting with at the highest level, like you oftentimes things go wrong and you know, it, it can make you feel like a complete fraud. And then the next second you get, you get glass and you're like, I'm a king. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Sometimes it's within the same hour. You know, I'm I'm the greatest, and man, what am I doing? 
Totally. I, I was teaching people how to use a uh, cup gun at uh, ZK Finishing School this weekend. And uh, at one point, like, paint the sprayers, it's not spraying right. We go back. I'm like, all right, so here's what you do. You, if it doesn't work, you think it's this problem. We come here, we fix this. And we go back in. And, like, a new problem, a worse problem starts happening. We can't get the gun to dial in. It's spraying. It, it blows up. Like, the, the, the PPS cup just blows paint everywhere. And I'm, oh, my God. I, 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 what am I doing? Yeah. It, go back. We figure out what the issue is. It was a rare issue I've never had before. Didn't tighten the nozzle down all the way. We go back in. We fix it. Go to the booth. And, you know, it's all good. But it is such a roller coaster sometimes. It of is. And I think the most valuable advice and I've got, you know, most of what I'm going to say I got from you at this level, especially with brilliant, you cannot rush anything. You need to completely slow down, double check, triple check. Cause in the beginning, you know, I couldn't wait to spray, you know, I just want to get in there. I want to spray. Um, now the things that I, I basically have a checklist, I check everything, um, filters, how clean is the gun? Uh, what I do now with the Kremlin, Kremlin is, is my, my weapon of choice. I run, you know, a brand new filter anytime I spray Brilliant. And if it's a higher end project, I'm running a brand new tip. Just every little thing that I can do to make sure that, um, you know, I'm crossing my T's, dotting my I's, every little thing that I can do, precautionary measures. Where before I just couldn't wait to get in the booth and just, you know, blast, just start blasting. <laughs> and just, absolutely terrible things would happen because I would rush. Yeah. And I think when we paint with domestic paint, which has a very wide margin for error, you can get, a, you can get away with a lot of bad habits. And that's one of them. I know for me was always the rush that you got from spraying out and like, we'll see, let's see if it looks good now. Yeah. Finish spraying. And then you're going to go look to see how it looks. Mm hmm. You know, you do that with, with Holland Lack and you're in for, you could be in for some serious sanding and days of fixing. That, uh, that bedroom set I told you about, I had such deep runs that I think it was like 10 days later, they were still a little wet. I mean, now I would, you know, knock it down with a roller or a brush so that wouldn't happen. But I always had that um, stigma and belief that if you see a run, oh my God, you got to leave it. Don't touch it. No, like correct it. Anything's better than leaving that giant curtain. Anything's better. Some brush. Anything's better. It's Some messed up anyway. What, what, how much worse can it be? Yeah. And sometimes the Hallmack lays out so beautifully, it'll correct itself if you catch it quick enough with a brush and you won't even see it the next day. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So, so you go, you get certified. Um, what is it? What you came back from certification? What, what changed, if anything? <clears throat> so in the beginning, right away, we were in the middle of that job still that, that I had previously mentioned. And so my first job as a fine paint of Europe certified painter, you know, I, I took like a, probably like a $4,000 loss. And, you know, it wasn't like my life changed right away, but I still saw incredible value in the opportunity that, you know, was presented to me. Um, I think really my, you know, the way I looked at my company really changed. You know, I, I just wanted to elevate what I was doing. 
And I took a lot of pride. I mean, pretty much I'm always wearing this hat. It means a lot to me to, to be a fine paint of Europe certified painter. Um, I feel like I can't let the company down, my company or their company. It's like a badge of honor to me. So it just has severely upped my game and how I, you know, how I, how I look at jobs and how I perform on jobs. It gave me a lot of swagger for sure. Um, but not a whole lot changed that quickly. And then, you know, I started talking with you more and really within this past year, you know, 2020 is really when things kind of started to take off for me. I started getting a, you know, a much bigger Instagram presence. I mean, it's crazy, man, the amount of jobs that I've sold off of Instagram. The first one, I, I, I got contracted to paint a whole house in Boston and I thought the guy was scamming me. I'm like, you're going to hire me from Connecticut to go up to Boston? Like, what's going on here? And finally, he goes, dude, do you want the job or not? And that's when I started taking Instagram serious. Um, what, did, what, did that, what was that job? That was a lime wash job, right? That was a lime wash, yeah. We did. Um, we used uh, Roman Bio lime wash on the whole house. And the guy's like a top 2% realtor for Coldwell Bankers. And the guy's given, you know, he's pumped my name out quite a bit. He's originally from Connecticut. So the residual business I've gotten from that, every once in a while I get a call and I already have the job before I even really go look at it. Um, but yeah, that's really when I started seeing, okay, there's some serious value here in, in Instagram. And that's when I started, you know, posting a lot more. I had really no idea what I was doing. I was just posting everything. I felt like if I'm always busy, then, you know, that's good. But I was posting just all sorts of stuff. And uh, at, at ZK Finishing School, we went over that. And, uh, man, now, you're, now your Instagram is, is killing it. Thank you. How did, where did, where did you got that job from there? What other projects and what does it look like? How, how are you getting jobs from Instagram? Uh, a couple ways. Some I'm getting from uh, recommendations from Fine Paints of Europe directly, which is like super cool. That's that's an absolute honor. A lot are coming from from Ring's End, and then some are just organic, just from Instagram. I think because I have a, a pretty decent presence now, where they're basically you know searching high gloss paint, and you know me, you, Shoreline will will pop up. So that's kind of how a lot of it. A lot of it's kind of organic right now, but I want to look into like tracking that a little more, finding exactly how they're finding me, you know, on Instagram. And then maybe kind of hone in and target that a little bit more. Yeah, I've been amazed. It is Instagram is such a with the network effect, right? It's 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 exponential as you grow. Right. In the beginning, it's so slow. Nothing really happens. And, you know, today alone, I had four uh, inquiries on my website and they all came from Instagram in some way, shape or form. One was a guy, someone follows me on Instagram and he referred his friend to me. Uh, a couple other people found us on Instagram. And that I mean, that's a crazy experience compared to when I started and my wife was like, 
you better start an Instagram. I'm going to start an Instagram account for you. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> I remember you didn't want to do it. Yeah. No. Um, I think the coolest thing was, and it's honestly, man, it's really been within the past like six months, six, eight months. You know, people are calling me to do Fine Paints of Europe projects. Um, before it was me trying to sell and everyone loves the shiny door, but then they see the price tag and they're like, no, like, no, but now I'm getting, you know, I've, I'm getting calls from New York. Um, it's crazy. And they know exactly what it is. I mean, I'm maybe winning like, like half of them, but it's just really, really cool that these calls are coming in every week now. Cause before it was like, how am I going to do more of this? How am I going to sell? more of it but i think it happened um through kind of putting the work in and you know building an online presence now people see that this is what i what i do so it's kind of coming natural now i'm not looking for it and it's a hell of a lot easier to sell you know a four five six thousand dollar front door when when they know what they're looking for and they're the one that contacted you totally it gets a lot easier yeah and and it's a lot easier for them to want to pay that kind of money if they can see what you've been doing for the last however many years you've been on there and the consistency and you know if i go look at your stuff it's like i already know what it's like to hire you call mm you -hmm. you know it's it's awesome man i'm so glad to hear that my page is literally like only fine paints of europe and it's not that i'm picking and choosing the pictures to post to keep it that way that's literally all i'm doing that's it that is all we are doing right now. We do a lot of cabinets. We we uh, we run fine paints, eco satin on that, uh, oil primer, uni primer, the universal primer once it's more readily available. Um, but dude, all we use is is fine paints of Europe. So that's it. So you look at my Instagram and it's like, okay, this is what this guy does. Lots of furniture, some doors, lots of handrails, a lot of cabinets. This is what they do. We're not a painter that has painted cabinets a few times. And that's one of the things that I push when I go out to talk to clients. Um, you know, we're a fine finish specialist. This is what we specialize in. I mean, for me, I barely even paint walls anymore. I don't even remember if I, <laughs> I don't even know if I can roll, roll a room out properly anymore. It's, it's kind of been a while. That's, that's all we're doing right now. And I love it. Yeah. I think there's, I had the same experience where once I stopped using all the other paint and I just started hyper focusing, there was like a, a deep lull where all your current clients are like, well, we're not your client anymore. And, and a lot of effort went into trying to find someone to let me do some work. And then eventually when you just hyper focus, you develop a reputation for that now it's, it just starts, like you said, they just start to come to you because mm -hmm. it's what we do. Um, it's, that's a really, I just want to touch on that again. That, that's like an incredible feeling where your vision basically becomes a reality and the phone is ringing off the hook for the exact jobs that you, you know, th that you wanted to take your, your company in that direction. Now that's like all that's coming in. It's, it's awesome. It really is. We, um, we just did a door, a really beautiful gloss door, 120 year old door uh, restoration. And long story short, we're going to have three Hallenock Brilliant gloss doors on the same street by spring. I mean, that dude, that's awesome. 
maybe change the name to like Wet Paint Boulevard. <laughs> and this man. And, and, you know, that speaks to the work that you put in. Good for you. Um, all right. So call you the gloss boss. Who, uh, who coined the term gloss boss? Um, so actually my, my supplier rings in the, um, the woman that runs their, their Instagram, she's kind of similar style to, to Kim from fine paints that, you know, they're, they're, they're witty. They have good captions. So they shared my work and they hashtag gloss boss. And I'm like, Hey, I kind of like that. So I just started kind of running with it. <laughs> I like it. All right. Tell me about some of the struggles running a business. What do you struggle with today? Cause it, I know it's hard and there's always it something. Is. It's, it's hard. Um, I literally just started like this year tracking like my numbers. I dude, I operated this business. Like I did it on the side. Like, like it was a little side gig. I had, it, it was terrible. I don't even know how I made it this far the way I was operating. <laughs> um, I'm a great salesman. I'm an excellent painter. Not a great businessman. But I have the gift of, um, you know, I, I want to learn. I want to improve. I've surrounded myself with, you know, people like you. I've learned a lot from you. We talk all the time. So I'm going to get there. My goal this year is to get the, the business side to the same level as, you know, basically the, the, the paint side. So that's been, that's been a struggle, man, because I look at, you know, I look at revenue as that's what I get for, for the job. You know what I mean? Like, okay, it's a $30,000 paint job. I look at $30,000. What I'm not great at is looking at all of the things that go into that job. So all of a sudden that $30,000, there's like, you know, 5,000 left. I'm like, what the hell happened to the other 25? <laughs> and who knows, you know? So that's, that's my biggest struggle is organization and um, just the number side of it. The administrative side of it is, is my biggest struggle. And we are, I'm really going all in this year to tighten that up and, you know, just get, as legit as possible. I'm working with um, with a consultant right now. He's, he's a good friend of mine that lives in LA. And I think he thought I was a lot farther along than, than I was because the exterior of the business is pretty impressive. And he's like, Mikey, how are you operating like this? <laughs> so we're basically starting from, starting from nothing and creating a, a system now. So that's, that's my biggest struggle, man. I mean, the phone rings off the hook. We're busy all the time. It's just, I elevated my, my company very, very fast. It happened very quick. I feel like I got shot out of a cannon and the way I was operating was okay for when I started out. But right now we're dealing with some serious money, man. There's some big money projects. We're getting ready to start a six figure paint job um, next week. I gotta, go. I gotta get legit, man, or I can get in some trouble with that kind of money. Yeah, and I, so I have a very similar. I, I can relate to a lot of what you said. I I started the same way, and I ran it 
for a long time like it was just a side gig and my bank account was just a slush fund of money coming in money going out and hopefully there was some money in there when you needed to pay something yeah and you know that's not a, any way to run a business and it's sure no way to find out how much you should be charging you can't even tell if you're making any money no um <laughs> You know, there's, is there money in the bank is not a good barometer of am I making any money? Mm -hmm. uh, because there's bills to pay, the taxes come. You know, there's so many other things that when I, when I first started, my only goal was like have enough money to eat and pay rent. And if those two things happened, like that was my goal. And exactly, you know, I, I've had to, okay, we're going to change that goal. Like now we need to have money just hanging out in the bank. We need to track how long it takes to do jobs and see if we should be bidding more or less. And um, yeah, and those are not the things that I got into this business to do. You know? No, me neither. Man. I just want to paint and sell jobs. But um, now, you know, my my circle is is pretty tight. The people I talk to, um, like you, there's um, clean cut painting out of out of Connecticut. Chris, Chris is great. Chris is really smart. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to have these people in my corner. Um, Chris has been in business for like 11 years. And I talked with him a lot. And he's like, Mikey, you need to start doing this now. I wish I had done this. You have an excellent opportunity to tighten your operation up right now. Um, so I'm, again, I'm so fortunate to be surrounded with excellent um, businessmen and, and painters. I think, and again, that's that's from Instagram too. So much of my success is, is from Instagram. That's how I got connected with you, a lot of other guys. I talk with Lou from Pen Painting basically almost every day. Um, John Scher, Chris Polidoro. It's incredible to have these people in my network. Um, so I basically just try to utilize that as much as I can and, and learn not only painting, but you know, the, the business side of it. Yeah. Cause there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. There's yeah. people who have done this before us and I'd rather go, Hey, what are you doing? than try to invent it from scratch. That's awesome. Um, so do you remember the first time you ever sprayed paint? Um, I think, yeah, I think I do. Um, <laughs> we were doing, we were doing an exterior and again, my, my life was much different back then. I, I wasn't doing so hot. Um, we were doing an exterior and my buddy that was working with me was like, dude, we should use a sprayer. We'll get done in like half the time. So I went and tracked down a sprayer from, you know, a painter that, that my dad had been friends with. So we were, we couldn't even figure out how to get it operating at first. It was like an old Graco airless. So long story short, we, you know, we made a mess. We got paint like everywhere. Luckily that the, I can't even call him a client. The person that hired us, they weren't expecting much. So they, <laughs> they were okay with it. But I remember you know, pulling the trigger and spraying, I got that little rush. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I really fell in love with it right away. Even, you know, back, back then. But spraying in the beginning, when I, you know, when I started my company, spraying actually intimidated me. 
because I knew the amount of prep work needed to go into it. You can, you can really mess someone's house up inside or outside with a paint sprayer. So it kind of intimidated me for, and I started small. I, I was very intimidated by spraying because the companies that I grew up in, like the, com the, the company that I was with in Philly that was, you know, we, they, we did pretty good work. There's one guy in the company who was allowed to touch the sprayer. So, you know, I didn't get to learn from that guy, obviously. And it was just this like sacred tool that only one person could touch. And oh my gosh. And, you know, it, it made it seem so much more, you know, scary than it really is. Once you, you know, today we had two apprentices spraying, you know, primer on doors in the booth, you know, un, un, no one's watching. They're, they're in there themselves. Dan went home and, you know, these guys, one of these guys is like two months into to being a painter and he's got a SADA and he's spraying primer on a, you know, a gloss door, you know, and that idea that spraying needs to be this big, scary thing. You know, I, I, I hope to debunk that a little bit. Um, yeah. Cause I definitely made it way bigger of a deal than it really is. Absolutely. I think it's easier though, in, you know, a company like, like yours and, and even mine with somebody that is well versed in spraying and knows, you know, the, the precautions and, and are able to put the prep in to just kind of throw somebody right into the mix and hop on the gun. The margin for error, I mean, maybe you'll mess up the surface that you're painting, but you're probably not going to, you know, severely damage somebody's house. Um, so that's another thing I'm trying to do right now is I was that one guy, or I still kind of am that one guy in my company that, that sprays. And a lot of it is, is ego driven. You know, I like to come in, zip the spray suit on. My guys crush the prep work. Everything's masked off. You know, I prime up the golden gun and I just shoot it. But, you know, now I'm, I'm starting to teach my guys how to spray and it's, it's really cool watching them, them learning They're you know, they're, they're excited. And that's how my business is going to grow. I'm not going to go anywhere with it. Just me, you know, doing, doing the spray work. I love what I do and it's going to be a very long time before I get completely out of the field, but I need to, you know, I need to incorporate my guys. You say it all the time. I don't want to be the best painter in my company. And yep. that's, that's, that's a real business right there. Yeah. And, and well, boy, am I jealous sometimes when I see those guys in there spraying. <laughs> it's fun at school i get to teach you know each once a month i get to for four out or for actually for a full day i get to teach spray and talk about spray and spray and show people and it, it scratches the itch you know enough um you know and maybe i'd love to selfishly do it but i also would rather empower a larger number of a larger number of people and employ a larger number of people and give people an awesome place to come to work and you know, do more great paint jobs than if it was just me doing everything all the time. So there's definitely a trade-off. Um, so you have a shop space, right? Yeah, we've got we've got a pretty big shop space. We don't have a booth like you guys yet, but we have we have a lot of shop space, and that's that's been a big a bit a game changer in, in my operation. It's it's awesome to have that space. How did that come about? Um, I worked with, I worked with a with a contractor, 
he was kind of a, a general contractor. He did a little bit of everything. Um, and his father was a woodworker, Italian guy. And he used it for more of like, he was a pack rat, man, is really what he was. That place, 3,000 square feet. And there was like one narrow path that you could walk through that. So he had me come over. He said, hey, my dad is looking to get out of this. Are you interested? And I looked around. I'm like, dude, he's never going to be able to clear this place out. <laughs> like, it was crazy. But the wheels started turning. I'm like, wow, what if I have this space? Because I was working out of my basement. So long story short, he ended up um, clearing it out. And then we moved in. We've been there. I think October was a year. So we've been there like 14 months now. And we're, um, we've got a pretty decent setup in there. So I'm going to ask you the question everybody asked me. How, at what point did you know you could afford to move into a shop? I didn't. Um, I just went for it because the opportunity was there. Also, man, I have probably the, one of the, the sweetest deals around, man. I have 3,000 square feet. I pay $800 a month for it. It's insane. <sighs> Dude, I never want to leave. It's kind of old. But for $800 for that amount of space, it's insane. That's insane. Like, I feel like I'm doing something wrong when I pay rent. Every, like, how, how is this happening? Lease in writing. What's that? You should get a long-term lease in writing. I know. I know. I, you're, I think you're right. Yeah. The owner is, uh, you know, a businessman that lives in Florida, and he hasn't. I've never even met him. I've been there for 13 months. I've never even met him. Um, he just bought the building up in the 80s when, when real estate was, you know, cheap. Um, it used to be a Pratt & Whitney plant long, long time ago. I've got, like, you, you'll see in pictures, I've got, like, a little, like, block, wooden block floor. Looks like, like, Jenga blocks. It's super cool. But it's also not very friendly for um, gloss coatings. I have to do a lot of work in there to make it clean. That's my next question. How, how do you spray gloss in this place? I don't know if I want to tell everything. You don't <laughs> tell anything that you don't want to share. Yeah, there's, there's some stuff that I do that I, not, not too many people know, but um, just excessive vacuuming, obviously. Um, we vacuum you know, all the time. Um, we have a really nice homemade booth. We don't have a real booth yet, but anytime I'm getting ready to shoot gloss, like a lot of times online, you'll see me kind of spraying out in the open in my shop because it's so big. I have, you know, the, the back corner, nothing's really there. So we line up some, you know, extraction fans and we just kind of shoot things out in the open there sometimes. So basically what I'll try to do, I'll try to save the booth for when I have a gloss piece coming up, keep it super clean, keep it closed. We'll put a brand new floor down. Everything is brand new. New Tyvek suit. You know, every it's almost like surgical going in there. And a lot of times I'll prime my piece out in the open. And again, to save the booth for that finish coat. Because what I'm doing right now, you know, the last eight to 10 pieces I've done, one finish coat of Holland Act. I don't want to put two coats on anymore. You know what I mean? I'm going, I'll put eight coats of primer if it will guarantee me one coat of holoneck. And most people can't wrap their head around that. <laughs> well, there's another secret people just learned. Yeah. To this show. Yep. 
All right. Well, we have some questions here from uh, some people. So I'm going to put some of these questions up and uh, we'll just, we'll answer them as they come in. Uh, Paint Finisher asks, how long does the gloss door last and does snow destroy it? Um, well, it, that that's a, a good question. It depends on a lot of things, like how long a door like is going to last depends on a lot of things but it's it's going to last longer than any other coating that i am aware of so that's what i'll say what do you think about that i mean it's a marine grade paint so it's it's built to last it, it really is i mean even the primer you can coat something in fine paints of europe oil primer and it has an open time for one year you can leave you can prime something and leave it out in the elements for one full year you put two coats on, you got two years. And that's just the primer. Insane. So it's, I mean, it's not a myth. It's, we're not making this stuff up. It's in, it's insane quality. It really is. It's a marine grade coating. You can throw the thing in the ocean. I don't recommend it, but you can. Any, <laughs> ever actually felt pollen lac in real life? It, it's so different. I, we had a client in the shop today. And she knew she wanted it, but she I don't think she'd ever seen it in real life. She she brought us a piece and that, we're doing a bunch of stuff at her house. And I was like, she's like, Can I put it on my floors? And the dogs won't hurt it. I was like, Well, come feel this paint. This is cured Holland Lac. You know. There's nothing like it. Um, I love that you say that, because that's one of my favorite things is how it feels. It obviously it looks incredible, but it feels like it was like dipped in some kind of crazy coating like it's got like some sort of shell on it and it oh my god it just feels incredible like it feels like it could take a bullet <laughs> it, it's the best so so steph from pro image just said she saw a house painted 15 years ago with holland lac it was just faded and barely peeling so 15 years pretty good interior I don't think it'll ever go bad. I we I just saw a, a Holland Lac. I posted that picture from Jessica. Mm. Jessica that piece 15 years ago in Holland Lac. And I swear to God, you could not tell it was more than... It, it didn't just get done yesterday. It, there's no difference to that paint 15 years later. It was unbelievable. I did a mantle three years ago. And I'm actually... It's cool. I'll post some pictures. I'm getting ready to go back and do some more work at this house. But it was a black mantle and it gets a whole lot of sun exposure. Uh, big picture window, and literally the sun is just beating on it all day. That thing looks exactly like it did when I applied it. I mean, that's only three years, but it's getting direct sun, and it literally still looks the exact same. All right, we got some more questions. That's a good question. Carrera Custom Finishes. When is the right time to get something like a Kremlin? I have thoughts. What are your thoughts? Your thoughts are probably <laughs> more helpful than mine. Yeah. I mean, for me, man, I, yeah. I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. I just went for it. Um, I think you should really know the direction you want your, your business to go. And I also think I'm a giant Kremlin supporter. They send me cool stuff. I talk with, with the reps all the time, but it's, it's not an ideal machine for every situation. Um, 
and you're trying to beat into my head right now to start running cup guns and i'm never going to ditch the kremlin but oh. dude i need to incorporate like some sedas because i'm doing small pieces and i'm buying like 300 dollars worth of paint and i'm using this much what yeah i did a rocking chair for my daughter i literally used under a quart ah, get a gallon but I mean, you have to to fill the line and the waste when you clean the machine. And then how many yeah. gallons did it take to clean the machine? Um, you know, Kremlins are amazing and have an awesome place, but for small jobs, they're not ideal. For, so for me, that's exactly it. For me, I'm never gonna not run Kremlins. I have a few of them. Um, a Kremlin is always gonna be, you know, my my choice. But I think. It is good to have, you know, a couple different choices. Um, I run it. I run a TriTech Airless quite a bit. Um, I think maybe let's try to get back to answering his his question a little bit better. Um, I love running my Kremlin on, you know, sets of cabinets. It's 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 a production machine. It's it's kind of, it's a fine finish production machine. Yeah. It's excellent in shop settings if you have shop space. Kremlin is is lights out. Yep, we have one hanging in the booth. Mm -hmm. It's there. It's essential for larger projects. Like mm -hmm. we don't ever take a cup gun and spray a gloss ceiling, or a room, or a set of cabinets. A large set of cabinets. Um, you know, I think you get a Kremlin when you are trying to produce fine finish at scale. I mean, most cabinet shops are running Kremlins. I mean, Wagner is making some noise right now for sure. But for a long time, I believe the gold standard has been Kremlin. Kremlin is a, they need to, to make a gun that competes with the new weapon. I think they can do it. I'm probably, I'm sure they're probably doing R and D right now. Couple quick fixes and they're right back in the lead. Um, but even to the point, I, to be fair, um, this, is a, this is more of a question about air-assisted airless. True air-assisted airless, right? Not a finished pro. Um, and they're just not good for small jobs. But like you said, I think it's, that's a, very well said. A, a, a fine finish at, with production speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can use I mean I did it to paint a little mini rocking chair it's not a great idea I wasted a lot of paint but it can be done doesn't make sense to continue to do though and I realized that I'm like this is insane I can't keep doing this <laughs> especially if you have a shop and you can get one of those parts cleaners and save yourself you know save yourself save the environment blah 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 blah, blah. oh yeah you know speed time money environment when i came to the zk finishing school you you pulled me aside and said mikey you got to watch me clean this gun it'll blow your mind two seconds like a squirt of solvent and you were cleaned out and i'm like okay to clean your oil to clean a gun that had oil in it in under a minute with less than an ounce of thinner yeah i mean it's just not fair to compare them to an air assisted airless um for small projects uh, so preserve underscore develop asks a question. If you're doing a classic super glossy wall finish on a renovation, 
at what point do you decide to replace drywall and start over versus trying to get the wall flat and smooth without with priming and sanding? Do you have thoughts on this? I mean, I've never really had to replace drywall. I don't know. Have you? I would say the answer to this question is so because you have to understand that if you put new drywall up, you're still going to need to do five skim coats and a bunch like putting new drywall up does not make it so you have a flat, smooth wall. Right. So I would say very rarely would it ever make sense to put new drywall up unless you had extreme texture or it was damaged you know, wash yeah. some sort of water damage or something like that. But basically with gloss, the biggest thing that you're doing is you need to create a brand new surface to work on. Even if it's a good surface, even a brand new piece of furniture, you're going to put some serious work into to be gloss ready. You're creating and building a new surface suitable for high gloss. Yeah. Like level five in drywall is, is like laughable. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Chris Polidoro says it all the time. Level five, no, level 50. Because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't, brand new house doesn't mean anything. Like you just said, you're, you're going to skim it eight times. You're going to skim it five to eight times, prime it five times, even on a brand new surface. Here we go. Paint finisher. He's got another question for us. Uh, have you ever had a gloss door fail in any way through the years? So I'm, for me, I'm, I'm like five, I'm four or five years in. Um, I haven't seen any, any kind of, of failure through the product directly. I've seen some failures on my end, like maybe some fillers that I would use underneath. Like I would run a lot of like the 3M or like the Bondo, like spot buddy. That stuff is way too brittle to be doing like larger skimming and, and repairs. It dries super brittle and that could cause you problems down the road. It could start cracking underneath your, um, your, your fine paints, paint and primer. Um, I mean, fine paints really doesn't fail. It's how you apply it. We fail. The product almost never fails if done correctly. Yeah. The failures I've seen have been of, uh, Oftentimes they're of the construction of the door. Um, we do not, we will not paint fiberglass doors that have windows in them anymore. Um, if you twice, twice, I did two gloss doors that had a, that were fiberglass and had the window in them. Mm. And the, you make them, even, oftentimes you get those new and there's like, like sealant oozing out of that edge. Yes. So we cleaned that up super nice, dug it all out. We made those doors mint. And then they heated up in the sun and that that sealant heated up and pushed its way out and caused a failure around those squares. So that is one thing that we, we don't do. I, I won't paint a fiberglass door with a window in it and I won't do a metal door that's just like a skin, like those thin skin metal doors. We generally won't do those either um, because I found that if you fix the, the dings and the nicks in those doors, they heat up and the metal expands and it will pop and pop back out. Yeah. Later. Um, that was another thing I saw. And then I, my, my first door ever, I had to redo it a couple of years later. Um, that door should have been replaced. I, I was so excited to do a gloss door. I ignored the fact that the door was not in very good shape and had, it was like a veneered 
door and so we repaired it but the veneer was failing and so sure enough a year or two later the veneer failed again underneath the, the paint and uh but nothing as a nothing caused by the door but i think the point being you don't want to put an amazing paint job on a weak foundation so we we definitely want to be careful when we do when you sell a door for the amount of money we sell doors for that you're not putting this awesome paint job on a weak foundation i just turned down a metal door um on the same street where a couple of my other gloss doors will be for the exact same reason you said i saw a couple kind of sizable dings and dents and i that it gets a lot of sunlight and i said this is not a good idea as much as i wanted to have another door on that street i know i can make it look incredible but is it gonna last yeah and i don't feel right about charging you know four five six thousand dollars for something that I don't believe in and that's why i love fine paints is it's a product that i really believe in as long as it's prepared and applied correctly you say it all the time don't get blinded by the uh, or distracted by the shiny thing in front of you you know think of the whole situation you know of course you want to paint the door and make it shiny and beautiful but should you yes yes and once that's like it's like that same feeling that we that you had to rush into painting that first gloss door and you took the hardware off and you painted the wrong side it, same thought though it's like slow down a second yeah is this a good fit and i've gotten i've tried i've worked very hard to get very comfortable saying no now because you have a problem like you, you know you run into things where you say yes in the wrong situation you have people upset enough times and it starts to be easier to say no than it is to say yes up front and then have someone upset later. Absolutely. I, I'm a lot of people are asking a lot of technical questions and I really don't want to get into that side of the equation uh, as much here. That's what the Q and a is for um, on Sunday nights. We'll answer all those types of questions. Um, but let's see, is there anything, anything else you want to talk about? I, I've got all my questions. Um, what are you thinking about these days in painting? Like, what's going on with you? What's the next? We, we are getting ready next week to do our, our largest project to date. It's probably going to be like a four-phase project. It's in uh, Farmington, Connecticut. Very large house. We're kicking it off with a large family room it's got a beautiful coffered ceiling and the whole ceiling is got to go uh hollowlack <clears throat> satin that's going to be cool so all of the woodwork throughout the house doors trim everything is going to be fine paints hollowlack satin walls and ceilings will be wrapped in the same color which is cool um i don't know if we're doing matte or flat yet but the whole house is going to be fine paints of Europe. There's a beautiful custom built Butler's pantry that's going gloss. There's a gloss room. It's either going to be the full room or the ceiling. There's uh, like three staircases in there that are getting glossed out. I think we're going to do a full black staircase, like everything, even the treads, because it doesn't get walked on a lot. We're going to be there for a very long time. And what I'm doing and the client is awesome. We're breaking it into pieces, man. 
you know, when I, when I first started out or even a year ago, I would want to take that whole job in maybe fear of not getting the whole job. You know what I mean? I want to get locked in and make sure that we're going to get this whole job. So now I'm breaking into smaller pieces. We're going to start with the family room, come back, you know, a month later, foyer, hallways. We're going to turn it into like four to six phases. And that's something that, you know, I've learned as I've, as I've gone along. It's, it's, it's tough for, for the business owner, for, the, for the, your employees, for your apprentices, and more importantly, for the homeowner. That's tough, man. When you're in someone's house for eight weeks or longer, it's tough. And you try to prepare them for that upfront. And even if you do a great job of setting expectations and how things are going to go, it gets difficult, man. I, I, I think that's a, a brilliant idea. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I think there, there's no better way to go than to make a bunch of little wins along the way and keep the client's momentum. Um, Chris is saying we should just do it quicker. If, if Chris was here, if it was Chris's job, he would just throw 25 guys on it. Or in his case, he put eight guys in a room sanding gloss because they're insane. Um, so it's funny that he popped on right now because I literally was just going to say, or you can be shoreline painting and do the whole job in eight days. <laughs> <laughs> that um, kid is a machine, though. There's nothing like shoreline painting, man. There, there really isn't. There's nothing. I, we, uh, we're looking at working together on a project coming up, and I was talking to the GC today. And, uh, you know, it's a value proposition that very few can compete with. I used to think, like, Chris Chris is an oxymoron to me. I used to think production and quality couldn't happen at the same time, and he just smashed that. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very remarkable thing to be able to, uh, to do the level of work that they do at the scale that they do it at. Um, unbelievable. And uh, remind me, Chris, I want to talk to you more about that. I had some thoughts about that today. Chris asked uh, Uni Primer how we spraying. You sprayed a lot of Uni Primer, huh? Yeah. Um, I, honestly, man, I'm loving it out of the um, TriTech Airless. I'm posting pictures and videos, and people are thinking it's Hallmack. I mean, it's glass. It lays down beautifully. It sands incredible. It is very, very close to a traditional oil. It really is. I mean, I love oil. And I told John when he, um, you know, he started talking about the uni primer. I said, I'm a tough sell, man, because I'm old school oil. Like, I love my oil. And I'm, dude, I'm going to use, I'm going to run oil until I can't run it anymore. I told him, <laughs> today. I told, I talked to John today and I said, he's like, how you doing with uni? I'm like, I'm going to crush it on walls, but it's going to take a lot to get me to stop spraying oil. Absolutely. I did run it on some cabinet projects and some furniture projects and it, you know, it did very well. It gave me a good build. It sanded nice. What are you using? pretty well with tannins. What are you using for a tip? Um, I always run tri-tech tips. I like, I, I like to go as small as possible with my tips. I don't want to, get super technical let's skip that <laughs> chris can put it in a dm chris oh sure like he knows what we're doing <laughs> <That's> a, um 
Let's see. Somebody else had uh, – this is our good friend Kendall here. He said, not a question. I'm just here to say I love the Yeezys. Can you tell me about the Yeezys and how they affect the paint job? Dude, everyone knows if you don't if you don't look good, you're not gonna paint good. We actually got them on right now. <laughs> They're the only guy painting Yeezys. Yeah, probably. They are incredibly comfortable, though. They really are. And uh, you have a couple pairs of those, I guess. I sold most of them, man. It was out of control. I had like sixty-five pairs, and I said, "What am I doing, man? I'm a, I'm a grown man with with kids." I'm a businessman, and I've got a basement full of shoes. <laughs> so, yeah, I sold them all. I still buy you – know, I've got a couple pairs left, but that's – my my goals have changed, man. I'm not – That's a beautiful thing to hear, man. It The maturity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend some people here in a second. But I, that maturity, I, I have a lot of respect for. Uh, the growing of priorities, right? Um. I was well, it's funny. I actually have right on my desk, man. This is this is what I'm doing it for. These are my little girls. They got some wet paint gear on. This is my firstborn, Myla Rose. This is Madden. Um, three and almost two. And everything I do now, man, is for them. I just, I want to be the best, not for me or for my ego, but for them. I know that I have an opportunity with this business to set them up for life, and that's what fine paints has done for me and and um you know john has done for me and guys like you have done for me i have the ability to do this and set my girls up for the rest of their life and that's what i'm gonna do now that's when good. i'm struggling that's what gets my ass out of bed and makes me want to do this at the highest level and, and be the best that i can be have you got them working in the in the business yet <laughs> no not yet but dude they they love they love to paint they really do they're always painting at home. They yeah, love it. I see them on your Instagram. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for that, man. My my oldest always says, you know, I want to I want to paint with daddy. She'll say it in school. I want to paint doors, is what she says. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, man. That's tremendous. Yeah, to to your point about like getting rid of your shoes and and getting your priorities going. I love that. And uh, I was talking today with my assistant about uh sports and how i like i watched zero football games from start to finish this year for the first time in my life me too I used to be a big sports fan it was amazing like all sunday was an excuse to do nothing and sit on the couch and you know nothing wrong with that but um i think sometimes sports could be a huge distraction and if that's if you know it's a distraction and you're like i'm looking for a distraction today i'm gonna go watch sports Awesome. You said it best. It's an excuse to, to not – and sometimes that's okay, man, but yeah, – We need it. Yeah. I just didn't – I just don't want to be delusional about when I'm doing these, like, unproductive distractions. And and I sure don't want my self-esteem wrapped up in how my team is doing today. <laughs> I have no control over how my team did today. I have control over my life and how I perform in my relationships, in my business, and – I'm not looking to a sports team anymore as a proxy for did I win? Um, but that, I mean, that was not always the case for a very long time. Uh, sports were a big deal in my life. And I think when I look back on it, 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 that was not a positive. They, they, it takes away from like my focus on 
what matters and you know still like to watch sports from here time to time but not really anymore now it's like, it happens every year there's another i didn't want my wife's like there's a football game on tonight last night and i was just like i'm gonna read a book and go to bed early and that is that was so weird for me to not care about the national championship game you know yeah i didn't even know it was last night until this morning and i thought that maybe it was kind of COVID because sports are kind of weird this year but really this year my my focus has really shifted man like big time and uh i think chris got it though golf that i i enjoy playing the sports still right i the golf golf has been a huge uh, addition to my life for because it's a distraction that feeds the business whereas and that's where I'm looking at now is like, where can I find distractions that are going to feed my other aspirations? And for me, joining a country club and playing golf and inviting, um, you know, business contacts to come golf. And, you know, I don't know. I, I've replaced sports with – I try to replace sports with things that are going to feed my bigger goals. Um, yeah, I think golf is, is excellent. Golf, so I'm coming for you, buddy. Chris, you got to uh, invite me to your country club in the spring, man, and then then we'll we'll start some golf. I have such a long way to go to ever beat Chris at golf. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but one of these days we'll play together. Oh, how about this? Do you have a favorite business book? Um, I'm reading oh, Zach. What's his name? He came to uh, ZK finishing school um what's that alan langer yes that book that book is um incredible i it's the names on the tip of my tongue right now um oh it's, it's right over there it's like seven seven ways to sell without selling without selling yes that's that's really good and, but it's a great book and it's kind of simple it's not it's nothing super crazy um it's just you know, kind of, it's, it's simplified and I'm not, I'm starting to get more into reading. Correction. I don't read. I, I do, um, audible. Me too. And I ask people, does this even count? Am I really reading? <laughs> like, does it even count? But yeah, man, it's, it's good. So Alan Langer, seven ways to sell without selling. I can attest that is a great book. We were lucky enough to have him at ZK finishing school. He came and did a, little, a short talk and gave everybody a book, which was really cool. Um, I, I mean, what's important for me, man, and it was important for me to, to kind of be who I am on here. I'm not a great businessman. I'm learning. So I don't read a lot of books. What I do is I research the hell out of paint. I play with paint. I push it to see how far I can make it fail. And then I know, okay, I can't go that far. I'm going to dial it back just a little bit. And I'm a good salesman. I'm not a great businessman yet, but I know with the team and the people around me, you know, I'm going to get there. And yeah. I'm bringing people in that are better at that. I mean, I'm a great painter and salesman. Why am I trying to do my books and, and do all this other shit? Yeah. <laughs> we have Chris and, and John Shearer to look up to as guides to, I mean, talk about running a business. Those dudes are, you know, they're on another level, right? And they're producing amazing paintwork. So I see it as a natural progression of, you know, we start painting, we get good at painting. Now we can go get good at business. Exactly. Um, you know, we live in America. 
There, there's, and we live in, in this modern world where there's all this information at our fingertips. You know, you can download a book tomorrow. Some guy spent years of his life studying something and wrote it down in a book. And, and I get to consume it in a week or two. You're right. It's, it's, I mean, basically, it's how bad do you want it and how bad are you willing to work at something. And basically, everything is just read, readily available for you to put the effort in. I think this year for me, I'm going to work on, you know, really fine tuning and developing systems. So basically my company can run like a system without me being there all the time to make sure it's running like a system. And, and then that's, that's going to give me more time to, um, you know, be a better businessman and maybe get out of the field a little bit. That's the goal. So much. It's hard to do both. It is. I think I'm at, um, I've kind of plateaued. If I don't change, I don't think I can grow any more than, than where I'm at right now. And I'm, I mean, we're doing well, but I'm not doing this to do okay. Um, <laughs> there's, for all of the stress and headaches, I can go do okay being a lead painter for, for you or, or Chris. You know, I'm not doing this to, to do okay. I want to elevate you know, the business. And that's, that's this year's goal, man. I know I can paint, but now I want to teach people how to paint better than me and be a better businessman. If this that's was a podcast and we edited it after and we like, we made a description of the podcast and we put it up at the beginning, like podcasts do the, 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 the tagline would be, I'm not doing this to be okay. That's, that's tremendous. And I, I think that Anyone on here right now, right? There's 32 people watching us live talk about paint and business of painting. Obviously, all these people are not doing it to be okay because they could be, you know, watching a game or, or whatever. So, yeah, man, I, I think that's awesome. The continued, the, the continued growth. I would say my favorite business book, if you're the one that's probably inspired me the most, has been Understanding Michael Porter. That book is a, a seminal book on business to me. Um, yes, this podcast is available after on iTunes and Spotify, and it will be in my IGTV. The iTunes and the Spotify comes out like a week later, um, but this will be an IGTV uh, immediately after to answer someone else's question. Uh, let's see. I thought I saw another non-technical question. Oh, I saw this was a good one. I put it up earlier. Mike, where do you see yourself, see your business in five years? This is such a scary and interesting question at the same time. <laughs> um, I mean, ideally, man, I see my business in five years right about where your business is right now. That's kind of, that's kind of my goal. Um, I don't plan on expanding super fast, you know, having multiple people just to, just to have bodies. It's very important for me to keep the quality very high. Um, I think to get there, I have to take some chances a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm scared to death, just hire random people. Um, but just hire and fire, man, that's it. Constantly hiring. And if it's not working out, constantly firing. So I, I want to expand, but you know, and we went over this at ZK Finishing School as well, where you told me, because I was ready to just hire two guys just for the hell of it. <laughs> and you're like, no, man, like you want to push yourself 
to get to the point where you literally can't handle the amount of work. You want to make sure the supply and the demand is, you know, it makes sense for you to bring on more people. But I think in five years, I would like to be maybe right around five, five to 10 guys. I don't think 10. I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I want to handle that. <laughs> and just the same thing, man, just doing incredible quality painting at the highest level. I've toyed around with the idea of maybe like not a watered down version, but maybe just like a general residential repaint crew of like five guys that are just crushing, you know, repaints where the quality is great. Um, I'm not really there. I'm just kind of overseeing it. And they're just, you know, like, like a, like a machine just cranking out repaints. But I think for me, I want to establish the main part of wet paint before I even worry about that. But that's, that's kind of about what the, what the goal is. Awesome. You think your business will be using FPE exclusively 10 years from now? Yeah, we're doing it right now. Yeah, it, it would seem silly to, to turn back. Never going back. Not, not with the model that you just described, right? Last year, we were probably 80-20. Right now, I would say we're like 90-10. And moving forward, man, I'm going to – basically, I'm going to do everything I can to not use anything but. Sometimes ceilings. Sometimes ceilings, it's, it's nice to just use a cheap ceiling paint. Yeah, we use a lot of – and it's funny calling Benjamin Moore a cheap ceiling paint. Because um, <laughs> Ben Moore, I mean, I'm, Ben Moore will always have place. It's just the big thing for me, man, is Benjamin Moore isn't texting me throughout the week. They're not saying, hey, man, how's everything going? Is there anything I can do for you? How was your holiday? I talk to John like every other day, the no. owner of Fine Paints, all the time, man. If I call him or text, he's going to get back to me right away. Benjamin Moore is not going to stick their neck out like that for me. So I'm going to do everything I can for John. That's why, you know, I get a little protective over, you know, the, the certified painters thing, like use the paint for the guy, man. So yeah, I'm absolutely going to be exclusively using fine paints of Europe in 10 years, in one year, tomorrow. That's it. Love it. Me too. Omni 26 finish says, have you guys talked about logos? You have a new logo, don't you? He does. Yeah, and I do, I do as well. Um, yeah, I think this year I tried to kind of rebrand a little bit, and it's it's funny. It kind of happened right around when I went up to the, you know, my second fine paints, or I'm sorry, ZK finishing school, the marketing and sales one. Um, I wanted to rebrand and make make it absolutely clear that this is what we do. Um, not, yeah, we're, we're a good painting company that will do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I wanted it very clear that we are a high end fine finish painting company. And my old logo, you can see it in the back. Um, dude, it's, it's got a roller, you know, it's got a, it's a terrible messy pattern. Nothing about this says high quality and fine finish. It looks kind of cool, but it's funny. I, I hate rolling, dude. I don't even like, I don't like rolling walls. I hate rolling. I'll do anything I can to not roll a wall. Um, so the new logo is a lot cleaner. It's simple. 
right there, you know, I was trying, I'm trying to do too much with that, with that logo. I think a logo is, is super important. And for me, it hit me. There's a picture of me and you, Zach, holding up each other's shirt. And your logo is very simple. But I look at your logo and then my old logo, I'm like, wow. You know, that yours looks clean, professional. So I rebranded and changed the logo up. And at first, I didn't really like it, but I kind of believed in it. And, dude, people are eating it up. They love it. You know, there's something very ironic about your logo, though. The new one or the old one? New one. Oh, that's a cup gun? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's shaped like a cup gun. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a sign from the stars. From the it is. But if you look at it, it kind of looks like a Kremlin gun because I sent it to the graphic designer. I'm like, try to make it look like this gun a little bit. <laughs> it's well, funny, though. Kremlin to make a gravity-fed cup gun. Yeah, maybe Kremlin could do that for me. <laughs> we call it the wet paint special. That would be awesome. Then I'll never leave. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I can imagine. Uh, this is a question we get a lot, but I think it's um, it's a good question to answer this. There's, there's one glaring answer to this question, but, Mikey, I'll let you answer this. So when I read All right. kind of what – Listening, the question is from Carrera Custom Finishes, he said pointers on getting to Vermont for certification. Yeah. So when I, when I kind of read the, um, I went on the website certified painter program um, and I read the qualifications and they're, they seem a little crazy at first. My first thought was how am I going to spend that much money on shiny paint? Like I'm buying quarts of paint to do handrails. That's a lot of handrails. How am I going to sell $10,000 worth of, material in, in handrails. Um, now, a lot of those stipulations aren't set in stone, but just in short, use the wall paint, man. Buy his wall paint and buy the line. Yeah, buy 500, like Chris said, buy 500 gallons in one year and we'll talk. That's it, man. That is the answer is buy the paint, use the paint, document it, you know, and, and then if you're buying from a local retailer, buy the paint, use the paint, and talk to them about it and get them to nominate you. If you're buying from Fine Paints of Europe, same thing. Buy the paint, use the paint, show them your work, and, and there's no better way to get certified than buying a lot of paint. So for me, the easiest switch was I used to run Advance on all my trim, Ben Moore Advance, Eco. I used to run Advance on my cabinets, Eco. I do some hollow neck satin as well on cabinets, but just start using it. I just did a whole, um, a whole job. It was, uh, again, we're splitting the project up. It was a second floor. I had a printout of what it would be for Ben Moore and what it would be for fine paints. Cause we ended up up selling and the client was on board with it. What does he say? 500 cans. <laughs> if to buy 500 cans and bring the empty all you have to bring them all to Vermont to Vermont. <laughs> Rent a U-Haul and bring all your empties because we're going to count them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Chris Chris buys 500 cans a day. Yeah, a week at, at least. <clears throat> I just felt like a like a big shot posting my eight gallons of, of uni primer. And Chris probably has a whole warehouse. That's why I can only get eight. But he's nice enough to let me get some of his leftovers. Let's see. I have another question for you. Here we go. Wild Iris said, as a father and family man, how do you balance family and work life? 
Well, again, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be completely transparent because I, I am who I am, and this year I'm, I'm trying to figure that out because I, you know, I'm, I'm not in the best situation right now with, with that. I, um, I'm kind of, you know, I get tunnel vision on certain things, and sometimes I get so locked in on one thing that I inadvertently back burner other things. So for me, harmony is kind of the goal this year. Um, it's tough, man. And it's, I think it's tough doing this at, at our level because there's so much more that goes into it. It's very tough. It is. It is. And I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes you have to bump into the boundaries. Sometimes we crash into the boundaries to, to try to find the middle of the road. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for giving it a hundred percent while you're working and then giving a hundred percent to your family while you're not. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do when you own a company and people's lives are, you know, they depend on you. But, you know, I, I love that idea of trying to find that harmony, that, that middle ground. So I was told that, um, you know, do you want balance or harmony? I was asked this by a close friend of mine. And right away I said balance. And he said, why? And to make this short is, he explained that you want harmony because to balance something, think of like a triple beam balancer. You have to take something from this side to bring it over here to balance it. So you're always taking something. You're always fighting to find that balance where harmony is just like a river flowing. Everything is, is flowing as one. So harmony is kind of a key word for me this year. Dude, I love it. That's going to be in the, when we one day edit this, this podcast, and we put things in the beginning, like short little clips of, of cool things. That's going to be the second thing we add. Harmony. The first one's going to be the door being painted on the wrong side. Well, <laughs> there's that one too. Uh, I think this will be the last question we got right here. This is an easy one, I think. Well, we'll answer this. I think this question, people ask me this question a lot. And uh, so... SNN painting said uh, for regular house repainting, you charge more because of FP materials, but do you charge more for labor? You want to go first? Yeah, I, I would, I would say no. Um, I think your labor rate should be dictated by the market and what, what you can get. So what the type of work you're doing generally now if you're using big pieces of heavy equipment that you know add a bunch of overhead you should probably charge more like i charge more for my shop my shop rate is higher than my site my site work rate but just because you are doing finer finish doesn't make sense to raise your hourly rate like your hourly rate is determined by your costs your profit and by the market so if you want to increase your hourly rate the best way to do that is increase the demand for your services while keeping supply the same, right? Because now if twice as many people want to hire you and you have the same amount of hours to work in a year, you're going to be able to raise your prices because you only need to get half of those people to hire you. The way to raise your rates is not by just saying, I'm doing nicer work, so now I'm going to charge more. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It, it has to come down to, I am worth more in the market. I, I get to give prices that are higher and still stay busy, right? 
the way we get more money per hour is by getting people to say yes to more expensive jobs. And that means you're going to get a lot more no's. But if you have lots more options, you're going to stay busy while charging more money. So I would encourage people to, to again, it's basic microeconomics. It's supply and demand. And understanding, like, that's why you have to read business books or understand business before you start it, to, before you can run a successful business, generally. Um, so that's kind of my take. I, I, I hate the idea of people thinking, you know, you're charging more because you're doing a better job. Like, oh, I, I, that, no. And I'm glad to see Chris agrees with me because that guy's, he knows what he's doing. I, absolutely. I mean, it makes, it's, it almost comes off inadvertently kind of shady. You know what I mean? Like you're, so you're telling me that you can do it better. You know, I mean, for me, it comes down to my, you know, for me this year, rebranding, and this is all I want to do. I'm not going to go do a, um, you know, a flip house or paint some apartments. And then all of a sudden we're going to be doing a full gloss ceiling. I think that's just dangerous on so many levels. Cause all of a sudden your guys can't get used to the kind of work that you're doing. You can't develop a system when you don't even know what, what you're doing. You know what I mean? When you're painting all sorts of different styles and offering different levels, it's like a car wash. You know, do you want the basic, do you want the super or do you want the deluxe? That's confusing as hell, man. Like, for me, I just want to offer the best and focus on the best. And that that's what we're going to do. And yep. that's how you're able to charge what you charge. You charge more by increasing demand. Like, mm -hmm. so Chris makes a good point. Gloss work. He said gloss work is where you can charge. The reason you can charge more for gloss work, if you're doing it at the level that we're doing it at, is because there's way less people who can. So supply and demand. Supply and demand again, yeah. Right, they have less people to choose from, so they're going to pay a premium, right? And so, just because you use fine paints does not mean you get to raise your prices. That's not a. It's not. They don't have anything to do with each other. It's it's about adding better value to the to the client. It's about increase. The most important thing is increased demand. You know, we freaking phone calls. Chris Shoreline Painting gets every day. I can't imagine, right? You know, to get the rates that they charge and to keep 90 painters busy, it's way more important to have lots of people who want to hire you. That's how you can raise your rates. Because if I give you a high price and you don't, you say no, I don't care. Bob over here, he wants to hire me. And Tim and John and Susie and all those people want, to, want me to give them prices. So I don't care if I lose this job. In fact, if you don't want to pay what I, I'm charging, have a great day. Yeah. I, Honestly, I'm so excited to say no, because that's, that's the biggest, that's the biggest change for me this year is I'm literally, I'm like pre-qualifying over, over the phone. Like I'm almost trying to not go out and look at your job. Yeah. You know, I'll literally ask what, what is your budget? Um, I'll ask a bunch of questions to basically feel you out and deter you, you know, just that's it, man. How did you hear about us? That's what my first question. Yeah. How did you hear about us? You yeah. know, if they're like, oh, on Google, I saw you're in Coventry, Rhode Island. So are we. I'm like, oh, yeah. Nope. <laughs> I just had my website redone and it went live today. And the whole website is designed to do that exact same thing. Like, If you 
go through my website and you're like, I'm going to inquire. I'm, I'm really hoping that you know that you're going to be paying and you're going to get yeah. quality, but it's not going to be cheap. And, but again, if I don't have a demand, if the demand side is not through the roof, then I'm going to have to start lowering my prices to stay busy. But, you know, I, I think that's a, it's a good question. People think that a lot of times that just by changing the paint, but hourly rates really should be determined by supply and demand. Um, all right. We're at two hours. I could probably go for two more, but we got to have work-life balance, baby. <laughs> so, um, and just to, to Chris's point, I love that. He, he said, I never understood not asking budget questions. If you, if a client won't, if you can't talk about the money involved ahead of time, that's a red flag to me. Absolutely. And for me, I felt weird, you know, even last year, I felt weird. Well, what's your budget? I felt weird asking those questions, but now that's the first thing I'm asking. Basically, what is your budget? What are you looking to do here? Um, a great analogy is, is like dating. You know, you go out and you use a lot. You go out on a date with someone, you have a terrible first date. You're not going to go, oh my God, we went on a date. We have to get married now. No, you're going to keep it moving. Like every client is not for you and that's okay. We're looking for our ideal client, someone that has, you know, expectations of what we're, we're trying to offer. And that's, that's what I'm looking for now. I'm not, every job is not for me. Every client is not for me and that's okay. And I'm saving a lot of time by not going out to look at, you know, I probably cut my estimates down 50%. Oh, me too. I, we don't put numbers on very many things. Yeah. Because, but so to the point of this, like, okay, so that the, the same question could be asked. It's just as insane to think that as it is to say, when I go to a $10 million house, I'm going to charge more per hour than if I'm in a $500,000 house. That, that is another ludicrous thing, right? So if, if I, if I can't have a client that it, I, so I, I want to know that my company adds good value. We know what we're doing. We know our costs. So if I say this thing costs $5,000, I didn't just like roll a dice and see what the number came up as. That number came from someplace. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you what your budget is because I need to understand how to tailor a scope of work to meet your expectations. We talk about it all the time. Every single client painting is about budget and expectations budget and expectations because i don't care if you want a ferrari if you have no money guess what you don't get a ferrari mm -hmm. and by understanding budget and expectations i can tailor a paint scope but i think too often people are making up numbers and so our clients think they're making up numbers and they're making up numbers so if they clients are going to think oh if i tell them ten thousand dollars he's going to charge me ten thousand dollars for it but I don't care if you're in a $10,000 or a $500,000 house or a $10 million house. You know, I, I think the professional way to go is, is like the date. Are we a good fit? Like, okay, if not, moving on. If I, if I take advantage of somebody and charge them more money than the job costs, that is not good business. I'm quite certain Shoreline, who's doing millions and millions a year in sales, is not looking at someone and going, I'm going to take advantage of this person 
because I can and charge them and gouge them because the long game is so much more important than the short game. So, yeah, I, I think it's very important to talk about budget and expectations very early. Yeah, the most important thing. I like to throw out big numbers early and and just see how they feel, how they respond, right? You know, I told a lady today, you know, yeah, an average dining room ceiling is probably 15000 But I also told her, you're going to have to pay for our commute because you're far away. Mm. Last client, you know, they paid, you know, whatever they paid. They paid 35000 and they paid us 9000 in commuting. And she was like, oh, and but it's like okay so now she knows where we stand because those are those are my costs i had to charge that in order to make a profit so if that client's not cool with paying my commute and paying those types of numbers for that type of work i'd rather find out right now before i drive two hours to go meet her and in the past it was like wait you're calling me can i come just like give you some pricing please like, I was so – no one called me. I didn't have people calling me. I know, man. I mean, I, I got – I've got myself in many situations, you know, traveling. And I look at – I just went out and did an estimate. This is it now. I'm just using, you know, hypothetically talking. You know, it's an hour and a half away, but it's a pretty decent job. All of a sudden, we're there for three weeks. It's an hour and a half every day. I didn't factor any of that in. Like, I mean, of course you have to pay for, for the commute. And we're doing some work in, you know, Massachusetts and, and stuff now. And I'm telling them right away that you basically have to pay us to, to commute because we are, in fact, commuting. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we need to make a profit. And hopefully I have lots of options on where to go work tomorrow. So I get to find the one that's the best fit for me. So, yeah, Chris just said we pre-qualify every lead and that's, that's asking those questions right away. What do you, what do you know? What are you looking for? What's the budget? And it's not, I mean, it's not anything seedy or anything. It's, it's setting expectations right off the rip. Well, I, are I we a good fit for each other. That's the point. So as an end painting said, um, he, but it's, but in general, don't forget your level of work is different than 80% of the painters. I don't think that's the point. I don't think it has to do with the level of work. I think it has to do with the level of professionalism. He's, he said he also mentioned that he thinks 80% of people would take advantage of a client and raise the price based off their budget. I don't think that's true for any of the successful long-term businesses. That might be true for the average painter someplace, but we're not trying to compete with those guys. We're trying to compete with professional businesses. And if we want to be professional businesses, we have to act like them, right? We have to have standards and morals and ethics and, and we need to do them blindly because, because we have faith that by practicing that, the long game is on our side, right? That's how you get those diehard long-term clients is whatever the price I gave you, if I finish the job and you feel like you got an amazing value, that's, a, that's insurance for the future. I, I think that there's just a, a, a huge lack of unprofessionalism in our trade that that brings the bar down and keeps clients. They don't have, they don't, you, if we don't build the trust and keep the trust throughout the entire process, then yeah, people are going to be wondering why we're talking about budget. But you know, if you come to a professional 
professional company and you say, hey, I want to hire you and, and they just go, boom, here, here's the numbers and, this is, and everything is trustworthy. I, I think it's a different story. I don't even want to know how, Shorla, how you got an $8,000 bonus on a job, but please tell us a story if you can. That's insane. But I, yeah, I, I think so much of this comes down to um, like being so professional, not being like a little bit better than the average painter that we worked for, right? If I'm just trying to be a little bit better than the paint contractors I worked for, that is not a good enough bar. I think the bar needs to be, I want to be as professional as the most professional business in my state, right? What are, the, what are the types of companies that are running professional business? You go to a lawyer's office, it's a, it's a well-run professional organization, and you trust them. And I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for not looking at ourselves as just the average painter. We're just painters. Like, we are businesses that we're offering services to the general public. So we should treat ourselves, we should hold ourselves to the highest standards we can think of, not a little bit better than that other guy. When I really started trying to get to this level and I, I kind of had the vision for how to get to this level, I think I'm kind of fortunate that I, I kind of picked up on what you're talking about very, very early on. And it, a lot of it didn't have to do with painting. There's a lot of things that I don't hear anymore from, from clients. Um, when I was kind of trying to go this route, I would hear, wow, I can't believe that you show up on time or you call us back or we can trust you in our house. Like those are things I don't hear anymore, man, because now we're at this level where it's expected. We're providing a service. We're not just gonna come throw some paint on your walls. And there's plenty of people that, that do that and that's okay, but I, that's not what we do at all. So I'm not, I'm not gonna operate like, like that anymore. It just becomes second nature. And again, these are things that I'm, I'm not hearing anymore. People aren't impressed that I showed up on time. They're not impressed that I spent two, three days covering all of their floors in, in their home because we're providing a service. We're not just doing a paint job. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that it, it just, it happens that if you want to be successful at the ultra high end, you have to do those things. But I don't think that to be successful doing standard residential repaints, I think these, are, these things are incredibly valuable. John from paint school is a perfect example, right? They're not doing these, the, the level of work that we're doing, but they're sure delivering the level of customer service. They're operating the same way. So you could be a commercial painter that is, as long as you have that system in place and you're just, I mean, Cher, John Cher, they, they do a lot of industrial and commercial painting that not even a whole lot of people know about, but it's, it's run the same way. You can be the best apartment painter because you're reliable and you deliver the same thing every time. It's basically the core values don't change, whether you're doing a gloss ceiling or an apartment complex. If you're reliable, honest, you operate with integrity and you have systems in place, it's basically the same core values. It's professional. At, yeah. at, like, it's so funny to talk about it, but like professional painter shouldn't mean paint, like it's not the same as I'm a painter for a living. Like I make my money through painting. Have being a professional company is so different. Um, 
And, and it's all within all of our grasp. Like the difference between just like putting paint on and collecting a check and doing the bare minimum and covered in paint and like, like just like, just getting by, that's going to make it really hard to sell jobs for more money and be profitable. But you can keep the painting exactly the same wherever you're at today and just get better at executing and the customer service experience, right? Those are the things that take it from people being like, who's this guy to like, this guy was amazing. Um, and that I know growing up, that was not taught to me by my bosses when I worked in painting. Um, but yeah, man, this has been amazing. We could go for another two hours. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I could talk paint all night, man. To, to wild Iris's point, I think we might try to start having, um, like once a month we'll do the Sunday night Q and a, and I'll bring somebody on. Um, as some of you may know, if not all the Q and a on Sunday nights is now behind a paywall on, in, on Patreon. Um, on my Instagram, you can click a link and it will take you to our Patreon and you could be part of the group that is now a, a smaller group of people where we can answer questions more. Instantly. I'm definitely going to be sharing a lot more that I don't share right now publicly because this is my business and my clients watch this and I post these on my feed. So I think the Patreon is where people should go if they want to to dig deeper into these types of things. And I think as part of that, I love that idea of bringing people on and maybe we'll bring Chris on for the first one. And he can- That's a good way to kick it off. And we can find out how one gets an $8,000 bonus. Um, Cause that's something I'm gonna call Chris after this probably to find out. I got uh, a really good tuna sandwich the other day. They were, <laughs> they were eating lunch while I was pulling some cabinets and they made me laugh. I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> a client goes above and beyond for you right we 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 get tips fairly often and it feels amazing right yeah we get tips a lot eight eight thousand dollars now that's um that's another story i like that i can't imagine um <laughs> all right mikey well we we're wrapping up but we have the three questions that we ask everybody at the end of zk live um so the first question i have for you is a diy tip for painters for people who are trying to paint Um, I don't, like how general do we, do we want to go here with like DIY? We talking like someone trying to get into spraying or like just general, I want to repaint my bedroom. Let's talk, let's talk about DIY for this, this thing. I think Not just painter. proper, proper preparation, just think the project through, um, even on a small scale project. I mean, for me, man, I'm, I'm crazy, man. I don't do anything small scale. <laughs> um, I'd rather give like a, like a DIY for spraying, like go out and get yourself an airless sprayer and, and play around a little bit. Um, but I think just thinking the project through is probably a great tip. Like, okay, make sure I have all my supplies because nothing's worse than when you're in the middle of something and you have to run out, make sure you have all your supplies, um, protect the area around you. Anything could happen. And again, just be prepared. You know what I mean? I think that's, 
I think a lot of people don't do that. They go, oh, we're just going to paint this room. What? How hard can it be? Yeah, respect. So I think respect just what you're about to do. You're about to go do a thing that requires respect. That's it. Think that you know. Think it through. What? How? And maybe have some expectations for what you want to do. You know how? How crazy do I want to go here? Am I going to sand the walls? Am I going to patch all this? I mean, there was a time at one of my old houses where I had my whole crew come in and we just threw paint on the wall just to make it look a little bit better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how crazy do you want to go here? Yeah, but I think it through. Spend, give, give painting a little bit more respect. If you're a DIYer, give painting a little bit more respect and think about it. That's tremendous. All right. What is your favorite piece of painting paraphernalia? Tool, piece of equipment. You name it. I love my Kremlin, man. I knew you were going to say that. I love, I love both of them. <laughs> I love that golden gun. Tremendous. So Absolutely. Kremlin Air Mix. And which Air Mix do you run? Uh, we've got two uh, 15 ones, 15C25s. 15C25. I have one of those as well. Yep. Beautiful. All right. Well, if you want to just repeat your answer from earlier you can do that i think that would still win i don't know if i want to do that now because now we have uh chris from shoreline is this tuned in i don't know if i want to repeat that i'll <laughs> go back to the beginning of the episode and uh and find out that insanely amazing and very honest deep dark secret that you shared with the with us um but i gotta do my spiel no i don't whatever we we asked this question because yeah, no, I, I was joking, man. It, I, I don't think anything could top that, like, ever. No, no. I put in, like, 60 uh, hours. Let me ask the question for everyone so we don't just cut to it. I know you know the question, but um, you've demonstrated your expertise. You, Everyone who's seen your Instagram, we all know. But now we need to pull you back down to reality, and we need to embarrass you and laugh at you. So we want, you to, we want you to tell us the most embarrassing story that you have for painting. All right. Sorry. There you go. I think you probably could have built it up a little bit better, but that, so <laughs> that kind of online internet famous black door that I did that everyone kind of said, wow, this kid came out of nowhere. Um, basically a flawless gloss door that I spent almost a month on and gave my all spent $2,500 to do basically it's complete. It's beautiful. It's perfect. I can't believe it. And I go to put the door hardware on and something's not lining up. Like what is going on here? And my carpenter looks at me, doesn't have the heart to tell me. And he goes, Mike, and then it hit me. I'm like, I painted the wrong side of this door. So I spent, three to four weeks on this project. I gave it my all, put everything into it, invested an insane amount of money into it. And I delivered a perfect flawless mirror finish on the incorrect side of the door. It was supposed to be the exterior facing side of the door, but I did it on the inside. Chris said he painted the wrong house. I thought he was gonna be roasting me right now, but he said he painted the wrong house. Uh, Chris, you're not alone. I also painted the wrong <laughs> That's, that's been, that's always been my most embarrassing. And I've, I've never, I have friends who've never let me live that one down. It wasn't a 6,000 square footer though. 
Um, Mike, that is an unbelievable story. Um, anyone who's not seen the door, scroll back to – is it on your highlights? It's on your highlights, right? I think it still is, yeah, under the gloss doors. Gloss door highlights. Mike did an absolute perfect gloss door, and it turned out it was on the wrong side. So how did you finish that door up in order to get it to them? Well, I had their door for a very long time. Um, the client was awesome. She was super cool, super understanding. I said, what do you want to do? Do you want to do two sides in Holland Lack? She's like, well, I kind of need my door back. We're going on vacation. You've had the door for a long time. So we just threw some aura grand entrance on it and dropped it off. Unbelievable. One thing I want to say is because we just ended with my first gloss door being absolutely in, incredible. That didn't happen by accident at all. I Maybe that's when people started to know who wet paint was, but I put a lot of time in with, um, with learning and understanding the paint. And I always tell people to start brushing it first. And they always have a smart ass comment. How do you practice spraying by brushing? Because you start to learn the level of prep needed. You start to learn the paint, how the paint reacts. Um, none of this stuff happens by accident, man. Maybe it was kind of a little bit lucky that my first door came out that good, but I mean, I literally gave it my all. And this stuff is not to be taken lightly, for sure. No. And I just have such an insane respect for, for the craft and for the brand. Yeah, Mike, you're an inspiration to everyone out there. You know, it's it's amazing. Your passion is infectious. Um, I'm lucky to call you a friend, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on this show, uh, bearing your soul. Um, if anyone's not following this guy on Instagram, they better start. Um, again, man, thanks for coming on. Honestly, man, it's, it's an honor. I looked at you as like an idol, man, and then you became – a mentor and a friend and we're like family man yeah all you guys like it's that's the coolest part about being a fine paint certified painter is you guys love it jessica i gotta you know give her a little shout out i absolutely love her she's incredible man she's always you know all of you guys are always there for me it's been a rough year for me it's been the best year i've ever had in business but personally it's been a little rough and all of you guys are, are right there for me and it's can't put a price on it. I love all you guys. Hey, I love you too, buddy. Well, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, man. It's you're part. We're we're part of a community. You know, thanks to Instagram, it, we're you know we're we're all the same, right? We're these passionate craftspeople, and you know, slightly crazy, very crazy. Yeah, there's a, a hint of crazy, and that we have to fight sometimes. But um, you know, it's awesome that we can be there for each other. Um, again, man, keep crushing it. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, I'll talk to you later, buddy. Yeah, we're just getting warmed up, baby.